1: Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're
0: excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings
1: in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke, all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this.
0: Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Less than a month away, Duck fans less than a month until Oregon kicks off against Dover. And I know college football fans like myself are just getting tired of waiting. What could you do while you wait? Well, you can keep downloading and listening to the podcast. Of course, this is episode 12 of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and addicted to Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. We are finally getting out of that dead part of summer for sports fans starting to get the ball rolling towards the fall. I'm just really getting into a football-filled move. Hall of Fame game the other day, opening a fall camp for all of these college teams. Oregon, obviously, just really getting ramped up for the real start of college football and NFL football and beyond. Hit me up on Twitter on the Air Jordan with an O if you have any questions or ideas for topics. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast as well. Also, you can download the show from Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure hit us up with a five-star rating if you enjoy listening to the podcast. Really love getting that Ducks news out to you. And speaking of Ducks news, of course, lots to get to this week, even in the middle of summer getting into August. The men's basketball team has the chance to add another elite-level recruit to their roster, and I'll tell you how that might happen. Football team busy preparing, fall camp getting underway, but they are still busy on the recruiting front as well. The Ducks' wide receivers are about to get a lot better, and I'll explain why. Pac-12 Media Day came and went last week, so we'll listen to some of the things Mario Cristobal had to say about his tenure at Oregon so far. Justin Herbert and Troy Dye joined him in Los Angeles, so we'll get to hear from them as well about the lofty expectations surrounding Oregon football. And it's not just me expecting big things from the Oregon football program this year, although I think I might be pushing my expectations to the to the top of the ceiling, uh, expecting them to go to a national championship. I mean, I, I love my Ducks. I, I, I will explain it again during the show, why I think this is the perfect roster and the perfect setup to compete for the ultimate prize in college football. So the summer preview of the Ducks in-conference opponents in 2019 continues. This week, you'll hear from beat reporter Brian Howell to talk about the Colorado Buffaloes. And as always, we wrap up the podcast with This Week in Ducks History. Something very important happened nine years ago this week regarding the Pac-12, and we'll take some time to remember that and how it affected the Ducks and go through that story a little bit, reminisce, if you will. This is a jam-packed episode 12 of the Weekly Web Report Review, so let's get to it. Dana Altman and the Oregon men have a chance to add another five-star recruit. Yes, I- I'm serious. Another big five-star stud to their roster for the 2019 season. A highly coveted center from the 2020 class, Nafali Dante has all of the academics he needs to reclassify to the 2019 class and join a team for this year. He's ranked as the number four center in, and number 13th overall player for the 2020 class. Uh, Dante actually played AAU ball most recently, uh, leading team MoCan Elite to a Peach Jam championship at the end of a successful season. Uh, 16 points, almost 11 boards, two blocks per game for Nefali Dante. Shot 72% from the floor. Actually recently had a visit with Kentucky, but according to 24-7 Sports... Oregon is the favorite to acquire his services. That's right. The ducks really competing with those big programs like Kentucky, Duke, Virginia, and so forth. More and more prognosticators in the last week or so have said that Dante is leaning heavily towards playing in Eugene. This would obviously be huge for Dana Altman. Everyone's been talking about the whole left to fill in the roster by Kenny Wooten, and we've been talking about Eugene Omaruyi as that possible replacement, but players like Dante, who is six foot 11, has a wingspan about seven and a half feet, actually a little bit more than that. He could give the team a bit of a different look in the middle. Uh, guys like Wooten or Jordan Bell centers for Oregon that have been playing in the recent past for Dana Altman, six, nine, and they've played great, really athletic guys, and given him a a nice look up and down the court who's really been able to run and keep up with teams. But to have someone with that type of athleticism who is two inches taller and can get up and down the court the same way Dana Altman will get to build a team with a true center that alone. I I know centers don't mean much anymore, but, but college basketball, you know, they run a lot more plays. It seems to be a, a lot more classic style basketball, if you will. That alone could be the difference between making the Final Four and winning the NCAA tourney altogether. This group already looking pretty stacked. Peyton Pritchard, Francis Socorro, the only guys returning from last year's team that had significant playing time last year. Anthony Mathis, Shakur Dweiston, Eugene Marui, Lochwer, Eric Williams Jr. added through various transfers. Not really sure about Eric Williams Jr.'s eligibility, but could still be a piece that Dana Altman has for this team this year. Then, of course, the recruits, five-star forward C.J. Walker, then Chandler Lawson, Juco transfer Chris Duarte all coming in. The 2019 Duck squad could be the best in the nation if they do get Nefali Dante. Gosh, we just keep talking about the pieces that they've been adding so far this offseason. I mean, Dana Altman has really just made lemonade out of the lemons that he's been dealt. And to get this many impact guys on a roster that had basically, you you, you can't really say so many holes. You basically just have to say it was empty, had to refill every single end of this cupboard. It's now looking like it could be one of the top 10 teams in the nation and possibly competing for an NCAA tournament championship. Just insane how far Dana Altman of the Ducks have come. It's really exciting for me. I mean, we are in August and we're already talking about Ducks basketball training camp doesn't even get going for another couple of months. Really excited to see what that team's going to do. The Lady Ducks as well. Not really much news to talk about this week, but excited to see where the Lady Ducks are going as well. Let's switch gears to Ducks football. There has been a ton happening on the gridiron. We're really getting so close to their season opener against Auburn now. Mario Cristobal, along with stars Justin Herbert and Troy Dye, all spoke at the annual Pac-12 Media Day in Los Angeles. Such a fun event. I wish I could have gone down there. I really, you know, got a full-time job, though. Responsibilities. Can't do that as of yet. Uh, uh, But it was really cool to see them answering questions with the expectations surrounding Ducks football this year. Those expectations so high because of the level of talent Oregon has on its roster Been talking a lot about it on the weekly web foot review, the change of culture as well. That Mario Cristobal has really taken the program through despite coaching changes, despite idiot decisions by the offensive coordinator before last season got started. And then of course, changing to Andy Avalos from Jim Levitt, a defensive coordinator. He has solidified Oregon and, As one of the most prolific teams in the Pac-12. And he really brought them back to the surface after Mark Helfrich and the Willie Taggart debacle. So Mario Cristobal was able to speak directly about those high expectations and what it took to get his team to this point. He spoke with Yoki Roth and Mike Yam of Pac-12 Network.
1: Well, I think the big thing for everyone in our program is what we've done over the last 18 months since I was blessed with the opportunity to become the head football coach. With the offseason regimen, um, the, the culture that we established from day one, the expectations that we have for ourselves have led to a mindset that it's, it's where we want to be right now. The focus is completely on us. We took a really strong look in the mirror as to what we did well, what we could get better at.
0: Yeah, just the level of change that this program has gone through under Mario Cristobal and how fearful Duck fans were, you know, about where the program was going 18 months ago. Just to see how quickly this transition has happened and then to hear Mario Cristobal talking so confidently about it. It is just that much more exciting to see what they're going to do against Auburn on August 31st. Another big story. For the Ducks is the return of Heisman Trophy candidate Justin Herbert. And Mario Cristobal actually spoke a little bit uh, about getting ready for that process and helping Justin Herbert make that decision ultimately uh, what he did coming back to Oregon. Here's Mario talking about that.
1: Well, you know, it was a moment we prepared for, but uh, and the preparation involved giving him whatever information he needed to make his best decision for him, for his future, whatnot. Uh, but certainly you would love for a guy like that to come back and send him another tier in your, in your program. So um, as we're kind of breaking down the different facts and figures that go with this thing, and, you know, his parents are sitting there and, you know, we're getting a little bit nerved up. a little sweat starts kind of forming <laughs> on the tip of my head. He just kind of looks at me and says, coach, I'm, I'm coming back. You know, I'm, this is where I want to be. And he stated all the reasons why he wanted to come back and everyone felt it was just the right stuff at the right time. So we're we're blessed beyond words to have him.
0: It's starting to get hard to keep track of all of Justin's accomplishments to this point of his career as a duck. He was just named to the Davy O'Brien and Maxwell award watch lists. Uh, He started all 13 games last year after missing time the season before that broken collarbone that he suffered. And uh, unfortunately, Oregon fans were subject to Braxton Burmeister at quarterback a lot of the time. Uh, He threw a touchdown in each game in 2018, extending his streak to 28 games in which he did so. That is the longest streak in the nation for that. Uh, He also became the fastest player in Oregon Ducks history, to reach 4,000 yards career passing, accomplishing that in 17 games. Here's Justin Herbert himself on Pac-12 Media Day talking about why he wanted to come back.
2: There were so many reasons for me to come back, and, and that's ultimately what I talked to my parents about. There was there was way more pulling me back than than leading me out, and uh, it's just such a great experience. College has been so much fun, and and uh, it's a year that I'll never be able to get back, and, and something that I really wanted to cherish and, and realize that, that I've got a special opportunity.
0: After hearing it from him, I really feel justified in all my predictions uh, last year before he made his decision. Uh, Just put yourself in Justin Herbert's position. I mean, by the way, I really thought heavily on this and really threw it out there that Justin Herbert wants this season, wants the year to be able to spend with his family. Like he said, he's never going to be able to get it back, that this is just a year in his life, something that he would be able to do if he stayed, and ultimately he did that it's just something that you don't want to take away from a kid. Something so special with his brother coming in and really an exciting time to be able to compete for the ultimate prize in college football. What could be better to come back for? There's a very good chance that if you come back, you're going to win the Pac-12. Your family, your home are in Eugene. And you've been the leader of a team trending in the right direction. Add that to all the other guys returning to play the entire offensive line. And you're most likely left thinking exactly what he did. There are just too many reasons to come back and enjoy one more year of school. Too many reasons to ignore. There's no reason to rush to the NFL. You could grow a bit more as a person, as a football player, get better at reading defenses before the NFL draft, have the chance to have a hell of a lot of fun too while doing it. Speaking of other returning players, senior linebacker Troy Dye made the trip down to LA for media day as well. He's the obvious leader on defense for the Ducks after the departures of Ugo Amati, Jalen Jelks, big guys, big losses for the Ducks, but still excited to see where the defense is going. Kayvon Thibodeau guys coming in that are really going to replace Jalen Jelks. So Troy Dye enters this season as one of only two FBS players, to have led his team in tackles in the previous three years. He's had 313 tackles in his career so far, won the defensive MVP every single season he's played in Eugene. Those kind of studs all over the roster are really what's got to make fans excited to come out and watch the team at Ottson this year. I truly, truly believe they can compete for a national championship, Tuck fans. I might be crazy, but I don't think so. And if everything goes right, I think a lot of people think that there's no reason for them not to be there at the end, at least in the college football playoff conversation. So here's Troy Die at Media Day talking about these lofty expectations surrounding the Ducks.
1: So, I mean, there's a lot of guys returning and we're really looking forward to this year because we've been through a lot. I mean, we started off rough our freshman year with that 4-8. and eight. So just to battle back and see where we're at now and just uh, everybody's bought into the culture in and the way that Coach Chris Paul has, has brought in a new uh, philosophy and mentality. And we're really excited going to camp, and I think we'll, we'll surprise a lot of people this year.
0: That growth and that battling that Oregon has done over the past three seasons, really bringing the team back to the national conversation much faster than I thought it could happen. I've been a fan of a lot of teams going through rebuilding over the years. You know, the Seattle Mariners have been terrible, basically always saying, hey, we're playing for three years from now. And then they still suck and have to start all over again. The Portland Trailblazers were really bad in the mid 2000s. Until they got Brandon Roy, had to get rid of Sebastian Telfair and crew. Just some really bad records. That, and GM saying, oh, hey, we're looking to the future. A lot of times that uh, I've had to suffer through that. Very recently, that was the Ducks. They were in the same situation that teams like Cal and Colorado were in right now. Searching for a new identity after being torn down by a bad head coach. But that feeling of despair for Duck fans is long gone. And confidence lies in its place as we get closer to fall camp. Even as Oregon starts fall camp, their foot is still on the recruiting pedal. The program hosted a really cool event in Eugene uh, recently called Saturday Night Live. Essentially, it was a mini camp for recruits and youth football players from around the country. And after that, the football team... Got more great recruiting news about a kid who attended that event. Six foot six, 225 pound wide receiver Johnny Wilson, the nation's number five wide out, number 35 prospect overall in 2020, announcing his commitment to Oregon over, check this out, 35 other schools. He chose Oregon over 35 other scholarship offers. The Ducks beating out schools like Ohio State, Texas, UCLA, the Washington Huskies as well. Isn't that pretty cool, Duck fans, beating the Huskies? The rivals of North, uh, really cool to see them getting the star wide receiver for once. He was the obvious standout from Saturday Night Live. Johnny Wilson was. People who attended said that he looked like he made an immediate on-field connection with quarterback recruit Jay Butterfield. He's expected to come in and compete with Tyler Shuck for the starting job next season. Actually, also really cool, Johnny Wilson is the second highest rated wide receiver commit in program history behind only Cameron Colvin. He was number 16 back in 2004. 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Greg Biggins, a couple of quotes that he had about Johnny Wilson. Wilson is one of the biggest receivers in the nation. There's some talk that he could bulk up into a tight end, he's a natural pass catcher who uses his size to box out smaller defensive backs and is close to impossible to stop in jump ball and red zone situations. So I would alone think that that would probably keep him at wide receiver, just that that talent with that matchup uh, ability to basically get over any shorter defensive back. Another quote, his speed is deceptive and he has better get off than given credit for and enough top end speed to get behind a defense and make plays down the field. I am excited to see where the Ducks offense is going from here with this kid, Johnny Wilson, uh, next year. Sounds like guys that are going to be battling it out, Jay Butterfield or Tyler Shuck, whoever wins that job at quarterback, is going to have a really good set of wide receivers to throw to. The first official Amway coaches poll has been released and the Oregon Ducks are officially In the nation's top 25 to start 2019. The Ducks checking in at number 13. There are tons of other Pac 12 teams in the top 25 as well. Pretty cool. Although the Ducks picked by a lot of people to win the Pac 12, the Huskies still getting voted by coaches as a better team at number 12. The Ducks sitting at number 13. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, Other Pac-12 teams in there, it looks like Utah, Washington State, and Stanford also ranked. uh, The Utes are number 15, the Cougs at 21, and the Cardinal at 23. The Huskies at number 12 just really confuses me. I thought most people thought that Oregon would win the Pac-12, like I just said. It just makes no sense that the Huskies sit one spot ahead of them. Chris Peterson as their head coach or not. They lost Jake Browning. They lost Miles Gaskins. Are you kidding me? Also, Auburn making the top 25, Oregon's opening opponent, obviously, at number 16. It's going to be quite the explosive season opener on August 31st. If Oregon wins, they control their destiny for 2019. Really have the eyes of the nation on them to start the year. They're going to be playing under a lot of pressure, but I think they're ready for that. Hearing what Troy Dye and Justin Herbert and Mario Cristobal had to say at Pac-12 Media Day, I think they're ready for that. If Auburn wins, then in my opinion, Oregon's basically going to be playing uphill from there, trying to win the Pac-12. That'll be the best that they can do, most likely, in getting that automatic bid to the Rose Bowl. And at that point, obviously, yeah, the Huskies would be a better team than them. But before that, no way. The Ducks didn't lose their starting quarterback, all right? And the other teams that you would expect uh, fill out this first uh, coaches poll for the top 10 defending champion Clemson topping the poll, followed by Alabama, then Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then LSU, Michigan, Florida, Notre Dame, and Texas for six to 10, rounding out the top 10. All right, we're going to continue with our summer preview of the Ducks in conference opponents coming up next. I want to ask Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera about Colorado quarterback Steven Montez. Pac-12 breakdowns are next on the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you, continuing our summer preview of all of the Ducks in-conference opponents for 2019. We've already learned about Cal and Stanford. Now, moving on to the next team on the schedule, that would be Colorado. So, joining us now on the weekly webfoot review, he is the Colorado Buffaloes beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. It's Brian Howell. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. How are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
0: Doing good. I mean, we are under a month now until the start of yeah. college football. We're taping this on the day of the Hall of Fame game for the NFL. So I'm just stoked that we're getting close to the start,
2: yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know the Broncos are playing the day in the Hall of Fame game, so everybody's excited about that. And bus football four weeks uh, from tomorrow. So people are excited,
0: all right. So this is going to be uh, a season of firsts for Colorado changing in the guard at head coach. Uh, Mike McIntyre was let go after near the end of last season losing six in a row. He was let go before the uh the end of the season. Technically, one more game uh, for Colorado to end the year was a loss. Now, former Georgia defensive coordinator Mel Tucker takes the helm. Um, what kind of changes have you seen under Mel Tucker even before the Buffs start to play in 2019?
2: Well, the number one thing that I hear from players all the time is just intensity. That's the word that you keep hearing over and over again. And Uh, It started with off-season workouts. I mean, everything they do in the weight room is more intense. The um, nutrition program is more intense as far as how they're uh, kind of enforcing that uh, with these guys. And uh, practices are more intense. And so, you know, guys are enjoying it. I mean, I think there's always, when you have 110 guys or whatever it is, there's probably some that don't like it. But um, for the most part, I mean, every player that I talk to, including all the leaders, love it and they're excited about this.
0: Yeah, that's, that's definitely a nice transition for players. I think a lot of the talk when Mario Cristobal took over for uh, Willie Taggart and that whole debacle and that happened, the quick transition of just how practices went, how the players were feeling, they seemed a lot happier out there. I mean, so, so you say the players are enjoying themselves a lot more. Do you think that's going to set them up for success going forward?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's a big key to – you know, a lot of things in life, if you enjoy your job, I think you, you do a better job at it. So um, these guys, they seem to be liking football a lot more. And there's a lot of guys that that I talked to in the off season that they loved going in and working out. And, you know, they would tell me that we get a lot more done in a shorter amount of time. And it's just, I mean, they've got a almost sprint uh, from weight station to weight station. I mean, they're supposed to be on the move all the time. And so they get a lot done. And a lot of the guys I talked to said they really enjoy it. And uh, quarterback Steven Montez told me this is exactly what this team needed. So as long as everybody's buying into that, then I think that's going to help them uh, on the field and produce better results.
0: We're talking with Brian Howell on the weekly Webfoot Review. He is the Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for Buff Zone and Boulder Daily Camera as well. You mentioned Steven Montez. I have absolutely loved the way Steven Montez plays the quarterback position ever since he actually got his first ever college start back in 2016 at Autzen Stadium a uh, nice and tall kid. He's got a really big arm. He can run when he wants to. Can we expect any more growth from him though or is he at the point in his development where well, uh, this is it. What you see is what you get at this point?
2: No, I think there's more there for him. I mean, he mentions all the time he's working on his footwork and, you know, his football IQ and, you know, he and I had a conversation this summer that I mean, there's there's quarterbacks that are five, 10 years in the NFL that are still working on their football IQ. So, you know, guys develop for years and years. So I I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, physically, certainly he's there. He's got all the tools, but as far as that football IQ and knowing defenses and things like that, that's where, you know, you might see, maybe the the casual fan doesn't notice as much, but that's where maybe there's a better throw on a third down that now you're moving the chains instead of, you know, having a punt or, you're not throwing an interception here or there. So, uh, you know, I think that those are the types of things that we're looking for out of him. And if he takes those, just those few extra steps, I think he'll be really good. I mean, you look at his overall numbers, his touchdown interception rate is pretty solid, at you know, two to one around there. And his rushing numbers are pretty solid. He's had a couple of nice long runs. But uh, certainly if he takes a couple of those extra steps, I think he'll be really good.
0: Now that game in 2016, uh, Stephen Montez and the Buffs, came in as 10-point underdogs against Oregon. Is there a chance that when Colorado faces the Ducks, it's actually on a Friday night this year, that they could get the same result, hand Oregon, that monumental upset at home?
2: Well, it could be. I don't know if I see it at this point. I think, I mean, Oregon, to me, is going to be in a much different place than they were at that point in time. Uh, You know, I was I'm still stunned by what happened out there at Austin in 2016. I mean, you know, we hadn't really seen a whole lot of Steven, and so you know, that was his first game. Sefo, uh, Lufau got hurt the week before, and so yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of expectation for CU. But I think Oregon's certainly at a better place. And um, I would imagine that there's some guys on that Oregon team that will want, want some payback, even though it's <laughs> been three years. It's a, this is the first time they've seen each other. So yeah. um, I wouldn't expect the same type of result. But I wouldn't put it past this Colorado team. I'll just say there's – I think this team is better than people think. And I think there's a lot more talent there that, that could actually, you know, pull an upset.
0: So what kind of season that do you see for Colorado as a whole under Mel Tucker coming in and trying to change things up? Is this going to be a, a situation where because of who he is coming from Georgia, he could win a lot of games? Or is this going to be more of a time to establish an identity for Colorado?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to take some time overall for him to establish that. But I think that he'll have an immediate impact this year to where, I think they can get to a bowl game, and they should have been in bowls the last two years. They were talented enough, and in my opinion, you know, I can look at coaching things and say that, that that's what held them back, and I imagine that the athletic director saw the same thing, and that's why there's a coaching change. So um, I, th- I think the staff is pretty good. I think Tucker is a pretty good coach, and you know, we've never seen him as a head coach, but I think he'll make an immediate impact if these guys are buying in, and there's enough talent here for them to win six, seven, eight games and get to a bowl game. So,
0: who's going to be the main weapon on offense uh, for Steven Montez that Duck fans should be worried about when they face him?
2: Well, LaVisca Chanel, that starts there. And, uh, I mean, arguably the best receiver in all of college football. I mean, this is a kid that, you know, right now, uh, he's only a junior, but he's being projected as a first round pick next year already. So, um, he he's right up there, one of the top two or three receivers in the entire country. And if he's healthy, which was an issue last year, he missed. Three games in the second half of the year. If he's healthy, he's as good as it gets. And so um, it starts with him. But then you got Katie Nixon, uh, who's the other receiver that's really good. Dimitri Stanley, and uh, there's there's a lot of guys. That receiving core is deep. So, but it starts with Lavisca for sure.
0: We're talking with Brian Howe, beat reporter for the Boulder Daily Camera and beat writer for Buff Zone as well. Now I've been wondering about the Mike McIntyre situation. Was it the lack of message getting across to the players or what what happened that they just because he is a decent coach what happened that they just went so far down the hill
2: yeah I think it's a combination of things I mean he I think he is a good coach but I think that he had kind of taken him as far as he was going to I think that his message maybe um, stopped getting through Uh, you know I think a lot of it I think is the athletic director Rick George did not hire Mike and so you know, I think that there's there was always some, you know, that dynamic, you know, where the AD doesn't have his guy, you know. And so when things start going yeah. sour, uh, then I think it's easy to move on in that regard. And, you know, last season, you know, they were 5-0, and and they, they were ranked in the top 25. They go out to USC yeah. and then out, out to Washington, and, you know, you kind of expect to lose those two games. But then the that next week, they're they're at home against Oregon State up 31-3. to and totally collapse and lose that game in overtime. And, you know, I know administrators were down there on the sidelines uh, during the game, never once from what I hear heard or saw Mike McIntyre try to rally the troops and stop the bleeding. Wow. That's the type of thing a coach is supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, and you hear things like, uh, I just heard stories from that game that just, you could tell at that point that it was just over. And I think that, you know, the, the year before was five and seven, very disappointing. And then once you started seeing that unraveling, I think there was, the signs were already there. I think they could have even, even had they gone like 6-6, six and six, maybe even 7-5, and I still think there might have been a coaching change just because I think that it was, that, that whole regime had kind of run its course and, and, and it's things like that. I mean, it was surprising to hear that there was never once any type of rallying the troops during that yeah. uh, debacle against Oregon State. that could have actually stopped that bleeding.
0: Yeah, that's that's very surprising to me. I hadn't heard that yet. You know, one thing is a head coach you you don't spend as much time as an assistant coach coaching football as you do. Kind of, you know, maybe playing admin and trying to organize your other coaches and getting them to go where they need to. But you always see the head coach motivating players or good head coaches, anyways. So I, I just uh, he must have lost his passion, or he must have just sensed that it was over himself as well.
2: Yeah, and I think there was I think there was some of that with him, I and mean, that you can go all the way back to uh, December of 2016 and that was obviously the great season for them, but that's when everything kind of uh, broke. We, we learned later about the assistant coach, uh, Joe Tumpkin, uh, Mike McIntyre learned of uh, domestic abuse allegations against him by his, then his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And uh, things kind of went south from there. That, that led to an investigation into how the program handled everything. And, and McIntyre was given a, a, a fine. He was forced to, donated, I think, $250,000 to a charity, and his contract was was held up for a little while. So I think from that point on, he was a different guy, and it kind of soured him on Boulder, and he was just kind of a different guy. I think from that point on, he sort of had a foot out the door. There were rumors at the end of 2017 that had he gotten to 7-5 and that um, he would have been able to turn that into a new job and trying to get out. So I think he kind of had a foot out the door, the last year but could never get it out the door because uh they weren't winning and, and i think had they had they've been able to win and go to bowl games a couple years in a row he might have actually turned that into a different head coaching job but they weren't able to do that
0: wow brian dropping some knowledge i would not have known that if i didn't talk to you today all right one last question for you in your opinion who is going to be on top of the pac 12 this season
2: i think it's oregon uh, you know i, I think the Ducks are really good. I think they've got it all together. I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Oregon podcast, but I, <laughs> I appreciate that. In, my, in the Pac-12 media vote, I picked the Ducks to win the title. I think I think Utah kind of runs away with the South, in my opinion. But um, I like Oregon. I, I think that with Justin Herbert and uh, just the overall uh, package they have with that team, and it seems like they're they're fully bought into Mario at this point. I think that that's a pretty good team that they win this conference.
0: All right, Brian Howell, beat reporter for the Boulder Daily Camera and Buff Zone. Brian, I really appreciate you stopping by and dropping some knowledge, man.
2: Yeah, no problem.
0: Wave at him as he goes. That's Brian Howell, beat reporter for the Boulder Daily Camera and Buff Zone. Covers the Colorado Buffalo's really great knowledge. When we come back, we're going to wrap up episode 12 with This Week in Ducks History. This is the weekly Wetfoot foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the Weekly Wet Foot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz is sitting in with you. Time to wrap up with my favorite part of the podcast every week, This Week in Ducks History. It's time that we take during every show to highlight an important moment or person in the history of Ducks athletics. And this one that I chose for episode 12 of the Weekly Wet Foot Review is definitely an important moment in the history of Ducks athletics. Nine years ago, July 27th, 2010, the conference that the Oregon Ducks play in, the Pac-10 at the time, unveiled a new logo and announced that they would be renamed the Pac-12 when Utah and Colorado formally joined in July of 2011. Does anyone remember all the hoopla that surrounded the change from 10 to 12 schools? It was actually supposed to be 16 at one point. Let's go back a bit further in history. Uh, This was really an attempt to gain exposure for the Pac-12. So in early June of 2010, there were reports that the Pac-12 was considering adding up to six teams to the conference, big name schools, the University of Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and the University of Colorado. On June 10th, 2010, University of Colorado officially accepting an invitation to join the Pac-10 conference, obviously. We just talked with Brian Howe from the Boulder Daily Camera, so Colorado now in the Pac-12, and that was officially at that time supposed to be the 2012-2013 academic year when Colorado joined the school. They later announced that they would join the conference a year earlier than previously expected, 2011-2012 academic year. Then on June 15th, 2010, a deal was reached between Texas and the Big 12 Conference to keep all those Texas and Oklahoma schools in the Big 12. Following Texas's decision The other big 12 schools that had been rumored basically just followed suit. Texas kind of led the charge and, and and the PAC 12 was really trying to grab the university of Texas and everybody was waiting to see what they would do. And the PAC 10 at the time was really trying to become that power conference to compete with the sec. So after all of that happened, uh, basically ending the PAC 10s ambition to become that 16 team power conference, the University of Utah on June 10th, 2010, officially accepted an invitation to join the Pac 10 conference, starting in 2011. Utah became, with doing this, the first BCS buster to join a BCS conference, playing in and winning two BCS games beforehand. And then finally, July 1st, 2011, the Pac 12 assumed its current alignment with both Colorado and Utah officially joining as full-time members. It's pretty cool to to look back on all the confusion and the talk and the many different options that were considered by the people up top that run these programs and these conferences and the many different teams that were looking at the Pac-10 trying to either help them get on the map or stay where they wanted to go. Just such a massive realignment could have happened. Could you imagine what could have been if the Oregon Ducks were playing against teams from Texas and Oklahoma on a regular basis, it's crazy to think about, but, but I like where they ended up. I enjoy the division of two conferences, the North and South and the addition of a PAC 12 championship. Basically that with Colorado and Utah happening, basically that addition allowed that to happen. Now PAC 12 championship game. And I know a lot of fans, We're really hoping for that before just crowning a champion at the end of the year with uh, at the time the SEC and a lot of other conferences played a conference championship game. It just made sense uh, to get that extra game in for the champions Uh, more revenue as well for whatever schools make it just everybody wins. All right, that's going to do it for episode 12 of the weekly Webfoot review. Stay locked in to the podcast we're going to continue our pac-12 preview throughout the rest of the summer Uh, we've got washington and washington state up next Uh, one of my co-workers from alpha media matthew zimmer is going to join the podcast next week as a special guest we're going to be talking all that is washington and washington state he's a wazoo graduate knows a lot about college football up in that state so it's going to be really fun and exciting to have another voice on the show so stick around and look out for that podcast coming in just a few days. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to give it a five-star rating if you enjoy listening. And also find me on Twitter, on The Air Jordan, with an you know, if you have any ideas or questions or ideas for topics, uh, burning ducks questions you need answers to. This has been episode 12 of the Weekly Web Foot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'm Jordan Schultz, so stoked. For the start of college football season and i'll talk to you next week sports fans go ducks